The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Good morning, everybody. So thinking of Doug's final words there, talking about a foundation. You know, whenever somebody is speaking up here, and especially if I'm speaking up here, there's, there's a couple different levels of... of Authority, we'll say. So whatever I have to say, think about it, judge it. If I say something wrong, call me out. If I say something that doesn't make sense, ask the question or correct it. I support all of that. Um, but on the other hand, we'll be looking at God's Word Himself. And that's, uh, you know, it, within society, often people will think that we are in a position to judge God's Word. And really, it's the other way around. We need to position ourselves so that God's Word judges us. So... As we uh, go through this, I'll share a few thoughts, uh, kind of like a, I'm going to take a few different thoughts and twist them together and try to come up with, uh, by the end of it, you can decide whether it was a coherent story or not. So let's open in prayer. Our God and our Father, we are here in your presence. We invite your presence um, and ask that you would that, that your word would shine through, that it would penetrate our hearts to whatever um, is in your priority that should impact us today. Thank you for having your word and for your having revealed yourself to us, for having called us, for giving us the hope of the gospel. And um, as we worship you here today, we ask that you be pleased, that you find pleasure in this. And, Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the beginning of a new year. Haven't seen any of you guys more than the last couple days since Rosemary's out of the room uh, this year. So nice to see you again. Uh, for those of you who are back, welcome back. For everybody that stayed, well, hope you enjoyed staying. Um, but being a new year, we're, uh, I guess, taking a little bit of time to talk about what is uh, you know, the core purpose of this organization. So we're, we're a body here. Why are we? I guess I'm structuring this around our mission statement. So we exist. You guys help me fill the rest of that statement in. We exist to help people find Christ. Their place in the body. Their mission to the world. Excellent. Well done. Um, so we'll think about that a little bit today. Um, I'm going to be weaving in other threads that I think are very related. So first, um, just thinking about our being here this morning, Doug, you used the word that we were here to worship. Um, I had a conversation with John Hicks. I think everybody here has been around long enough that remembers the Hicks that used to be here uh, a few years ago. And came to a new understanding of the word worship. So if you think, what, what does worship mean? So uh, you could say, you know, your worship to the Lord Mayor or to the judge or something like that, I'm sure, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, to worship 
if you speak a different language, like Spanish, for example, um, there's actually two different words that are wrapped together in the English word. Uh, it is to serve, and it is to... Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use what I think is Spanish, but I'll be saying it in Portuguese. Servir and adorar, right? We, we serve God, and we... I'll use the word adore, but... It, English adore doesn't mean quite the same thing, but we bow down and pay homage and recognize the greatness of God. You know, th those are two kind of different things, but they're wrapped together in the English word worship. Um, you know, some examples, you know, Joshua 24, 15, Joshua is talking to people and saying, you know, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To serve the Lord is to recognize his lordship and to take direction from him and to do that which he calls us to do. So that's a very core part of worship, to live our lives that way. Uh, you know, so I, I work for a company. Uh, several of us do. Doug, you work for a company, right? Oh, yeah. Good. Um, you know, when people ask what I do, well, I talk on the phone for a job or I write emails for a job. It's, uh, <laughs> but, you know, for, for those things, I need a computer. And I don't actually worry about, will I have a computer or not? Yes, Excel spreadsheets, very important. Um, I don't worry about, will I have a computer to do my work? My company provides me one because they need me to do the job. So they provide me the means with which to do what they tell me to do, but I have to take direction from them and do what the company says, this is what you're going to do, or I could quit my job is the other option also. Um, so my focus is not I don't need to worry about, do I have the, the means to do it? What I need to focus on is doing what direction I've been given to do. Um, sometimes my family thinks that, you know, I do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I don't really. Um, there's some, some call and some number of hours in my life that I need to do. So I work for a company. I also work for the Lord. And I don't need to worry about, will I have the wherewithal to do the things that the Lord tells me to do? What I need to worry about is focusing on what direction is he telling me and doing that. Just like at my work, so in, more fundamentally in life, I need to seek to understand what is the direction God is calling me to do. If I am to serve him, if he is my Lord, he's the one who sets the direction, my role is to salute, say yes, sir, and do it. And that is a 24-7 responsibility. So part of worship, we're here as a body of believers, we worship. Um, the second part is, um, is that bowing down and paying homage to, so that, which is more of a, you know, in some sense that per pervades our life. And in some sense, it's special times where we get together and we do sing and we, um, we have dedicated times of worship. The passage to consider, John chapter 4, starting in verse 20, the incident of the Samaritan woman. Jesus is talking with her, and uh, she says to him, hey, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You know, in the Old Testament, I guess it varied over the course of time, there was a tabernacle. Well, go back far enough, you know, Abraham, the, the, the patriarchs would build an altar somewhere and worship at a point in time. Uh, Joseph stood up a rock and anointed it with oil and prayed to God at that location. Later, there was the tabernacle where everybody, the people were called to come together to worship God in that location. Later, there was a temple. Where people were called to come together to worship God in that location. And if you did it somewhere else, that was forbidden. Right? Don't go onto the hilltops. But that's all changed in that God is now with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are called to worship, to bow down, to pay homage, to respect, to recognize the greatness of God wherever we are. And we're doing that together here this morning. So that's part of what we, what we do. Um, we, out of that passage in John, if going to the temple in Jerusalem isn't what matters, no. We, do, we are told what does, sorry, going to the temple is not what matters. We are told what does matter, that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Um, I was reading C.S. Lewis's autobiography a week or two ago. Um, it struck me interestingly. He uh, you know, he was raised in a Protestant home in Northern Ireland, and he walked away from the faith, became an atheist, until um, he was, I suppose, in his 30s when he returned to the faith, you know, basically convinced that it must, there's no way that Christianity could not be true. He was written, this book was written, I suppose, in the 40s, 1940s. So he, he makes references that are hard to get in today's society. Sometimes he talks about in there, you know, naturally, if you're going to go from London to Edinburgh, you would take the train. People could drive or fly, but they would never do that. The natural thing to do is take the train. Our life is different today. But, but there's truths in his, uh, there's fundamental truths, and the conclusion he came to is, is very accurate. Um, he talked about one of the things that drove him away from the faith is as a kid, he would say his prayers, and he felt that he, need to feel, he needed to feel very emotional and very involved in them. And he couldn't conjure up that feeling of emotion every time. So he thought, ah, this must be all false. And you know, that, that, that's a big part of what led him not to believe in the faith. So when, when we worship in spirit and in truth, um, that doesn't mean conjuring up false emotions. And the, the, the first thing that is of importance is that we do it, right? Um, it's kind of like if you're raising your child, and you, you should love your children. I recommend loving your children. If you have five children, you should love all five of them. Um, sometimes that comes easy. Sometimes it doesn't come so easy. But the important thing is to do it at all times. So when we worship the Father... We should do it at all times. We shouldn't worry about 
Are we conjuring up the right feelings as we approach it? And yet, if we worship, we will, if we worship appropriately, it will be in spirit. It will be in truth. Another passage. I think that one is very well known. I think everybody could say, how should we worship in spirit and in truth? Uh, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 in which it is written, um, dot, 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 let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, uh, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think sometimes I, I wonder if in our tradition we do that reverence and awe as much as we should. I think often we're, there's a risk that we are a little too casual because yes, God is our father. Yes, he is with us, but he is still a consuming fire. He is still the creator of all things. It's still in him that all things live and move and have their being. So we worship to serve and to adore the, the Lord. We worship in spirit and in truth with reverence and with awe. So I'm just going to worry right now. You know, so you guys are all familiar. Everybody in here is familiar with faith. Been around for a little while. When I, I fear about jargon. You know, I, I think about songs we sing and we sing, well, the lion who is the lamb that was slain, whose red blood washes our sins as white as snow. And if somebody was an outsider, <laughs> they might scratch their heads a little bit and say, you know, what, what, what on earth? You guys have uh, been taking some substances. <laughs> um, if, if, if I'm, I, I hope that I have not slipped into jargon so far, uh, but if I've said anything that's not making sense, uh, you know, call me out. Let's talk about it. Let's clarify it. Um, so our mission statement, back to where it started. We exist to help people find Christ, their place in the body, their mission to the world. We do come together, we worship. But we, we worship together, we have that purpose. Um, and when I think about our existing to help people find Christ, their place in their body, and their mission to the world, maybe the question for each of us, so, so that's, that's corporately we do that, and then each of us individually does that. As we are together, we try to help people find Christ. As we are together, we try to help people find their place in the body. As we are together, we help people find their mission to the world. And yet, we individually need to find Christ. We individually need to find our place in the body. We individually need to find our mission to the world. And we individually need to help others find Christ. We in, so both as a corporate group and as individuals, we need to be subject to that and fulfill that mission. So what, what does that look like in life? Um, thinking I would tell a little fable, just try to make it tangible. So what, what, what is my place in the body? Um, you know, Let's go back to my work. I hope my place is to get a good salary. Um, but our place in the body is, 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 is not that. We have responsibilities. I want to 
imagine, so there's a series of events, this is going to happen over the course of a couple decades, I'll tell it in two minutes maybe. Um, so Sunday morning, we've got two guys that come and guest speakers. So John is the president of Stop Human Trafficking Now. And he comes and he speaks, when, at some point in his younger life, he had become aware of some Bulgarian girl that was trafficked into prostitution and was stuck in that. And he got so mobilized, he got involved in helping to stop that happening and to the point where he's now the lead of this organization that is dedicated to stopping human trafficking. So he comes here this uh, Sunday morning and he tells his story. Um, next to him is Merlinda, who is the president of People Vision, who uh, it, it's an initiative to help form stable communities, economically viable communities, so that people aren't driven into uh, prostitution, in this case, or human trafficking. So they, she's here, and she, the, the two of them jointly present, and we all stand and we clap. So that's, that's two people that are helping to, uh, they, they have found a place in the body and a mission to the world. Though often we get most excited about those things that are big and far away. Um, but it's not only the things that are big and far away that matter. Um, what I thought about the word love sometimes, and what, what does the word love mean? Um, it means a lot of different things, and, and there's different aspects of love, certainly. And some of the stories, what I'd like to see come out is that John and Merlinda were carrying, sorry, caring for the good of other people, and they were acting for the good of other people. I think that is what it is to love. Um, you know, there, there's lots of little cliches that we use about what it is to love, um, but we can say it's an action, uh, but then to spit is an action too, but to love is not to spit. Um, so it's a specific action, right? And I think it's to care for the other. Maybe it would be loving to spit in some circumstance, I don't know. But generally, it is to care for the good of the other person, and based on that care, to act for the good of the other person. Those two things going together is to love. So I think that John and Merlinda are acting in love for the good of caring for, acting for the good of others. Um, so that morning, um, Miriam is sitting over here on the second bench. She's kind of imaginary, so you can see right through her. Uh, so Miriam is a recovering drug addict, and she's recovering from alcohol and drug addiction. She has a one-year-old child. Um, her husband just committed suicide. Um, so she's kind of in a, she has a rough, rough life going on. So Miriam's sitting right there. But we have a new visitor that comes in the same day. So Patsy comes in and sits next to her. Patsy drives up in her Mercedes. She's, uh, she owns her medical practice. She's a doctor. Comes in looking a whole lot nicelier dressed than Miriam did. But over the, cat, the, the course of the morning, so Miriam talks to her, greets her, says morning. Um, and of course, conversation turns out that Patsy, you know, her, her husband abuses her. And, you know, they, they talk and they cry together at the end of the day. Miriam is caring for the good of the other and acting for the good of the other. 
she's fulfilling her place in the body, her mission to the world. She's helping Patsy find Christ. Behind that facade of the, you know, the happy, very successful person that has that not-so-happy reality behind the scenes. Uh, a year later, Jude and Miriam fall in love. Jude's sitting right there now. Um, so they, they fall in love, and you know that, that's perhaps more the, the Hollywood, closer to the Hollywood version of love that we see. And yet it's still, you know, Jude cares for the good of Miriam. He's acting for the good of Miriam and, and in response. And they together are forming a family unit in which to raise up godly children. Self-reference to Malachi 3.15. Um, so they are acting in true love as well. Oh, it's very sweet. <laughs> um, so then a couple years later, two o'clock in the morning... Uh, what was her name? Miriam's little child. Abigail is probably about two and a half now. Jude is up. She's crying. He's carrying her and patting her back. I don't know if it's two and a half, maybe it's one and a half, whatever age she's at. And he's praying, God, put her, help her go to sleep, please. And he's miserable and he wants her to do nothing else because he's dead tired himself. But he is caring for the good of the other and he's acting for the good of the other. He is loving it's an act of love, certainly not the Hollywood version of love, but still a very profound act of love. You've got um, later that same day, uh, young Abigail takes out her fork and she says, ah, there's an outlet. I'm going to stick my fork in the outlet. And he says, no, don't do that. And he slaps her hand. It's an act of love. He's caring for the good of the other, and he's acting for the good of the other. Is this going to hurt you more than it hurts me, he says. Abby is too small to roll her eyes at this point, perhaps. (laughs) 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 Yep, yep. (laughs) It's on on Instagram at this point. So, you know, years later, the, the boy that they had grows up, his name is Jesse, and he sees some kid in his class that's being ignored by the football quarterback. Um, you've got Abby, who sees this other kid. She, she sees the beauty queen in her class who's puts on this facade of very, you know, whatever, beauty queenish whatever the queen feels like, but she's got emptiness behind, and Abigail has a true, you know, a sincere conversation with her, getting behind the facade and caring about her life, acts of caring for the other, loving the other, acting for, sorry, caring for the other and acting for the good of the other, sincerely rather than just on the facade level. I think all of those, I think, are pictures of how we should love, how we should help people find Christ, how we should help people find their place in the body. You know, the, 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 the original story behind all of those was from Luke 10. You'll recognize it pretty quickly. So lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. This is Luke 10, starting in verse 25. He said, teacher, 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Not Billy, certainly. I can love this neighbor, not that neighbor. Uh, Jesus answered, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Ah, you know what the story is now. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a stinking Samaritan, as a Jew would have thought, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and they set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay it when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, so we could spend a, a month talking about that story, I'm sure, different things. A uh, couple things that stri- I think stand out. So one, I think, again, that's a fundamental picture, a clear picture of caring for the good of the other, acting for the good of the other, it's something that, um, so, so, you know, we, we use the word agape. We, we talk about different types of love, how agape is a type of love. You know, you, you, back to jargon, you can't take words too far. So, you know, we, we say, so agape isn't, is, it, 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 let's, let me use the counterexample. In Second Samuel chapter 15, give or take, David's son, Amnon, rapes his sister, Tamar. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was commonly in use in Jesus' day, the verb that was used there is agape. So let's not go too far with agape as a, you know, perfect, perfect word. But there is, there is a God-given love that agape properly used is something we're supposed to do. And that, in the story of the Good Samaritan, is what you see being carried, carried out. The Samaritan didn't love that guy that he found laying on the side of the road because they were best buddies and the guy had helped him in life. He had no idea who he was. And we are called to love people not because they first loved us, but because God first loved us. Right? We, so I can love the Samaritan can love the guy laying on the side of the road because of the love of God that he has received. He knows that God loves that other guy so he can carry out that love the same way. So that's part of what we are called to do in our place in the body, in our mission to the world, is to transmit to having received the love of God to understand where God would have us to display that around us and act on that, on the other person. Whether he's my friend, whether he's my enemy, doesn't matter. I need to care for his good, act for his good, because God loves him. One more verse, uh, John 13, 35. 
uh, Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by your love one for another. So that fundamentally is the one characteristic that should characterize us in all of its different aspects, right? Love isn't always happy feelings. Sometimes love is slapping the hand, but it's one thing that should characterize us. So our mission statement, back to, we exist to help people find Christ, their place in the body, their mission to the world. So question, if you were to help somebody find Christ, their place in the body, their mission to the world. What advice, not if you were to, if somebody was to, if, if, if uh, what was his name? Sorry, I forget. Jude, if Jude was to. <laughs> Glad you guys are. Uh, if Jude was to do that, what advice would you give him? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, obviously, is the Great Commission clearly tells us to disciple and baptize them in the name of the Lord. You know, one mistake that I have seen that uh, in my journeys, in my missionary journeys to different countries, and you go to help and you witness to people is that sometimes they come to the Lord, but you just live stranded there. And that's something we cannot do. At that very point where they accepted Jesus in the heart, if they did it for real, they, a process begins and they need to be, like Kobe said, they need to be, to have someone to take the first steps with. Sometimes it is a woman that comes. You might have witnessed women, they, they come to the Lord. I do not disciple women by, by myself. I have another woman disciple them. I will disciple a couple or a man. But you have to be able to walk with them the entire time until the Lord leads you to other things. Recommendations. Obviously, somebody comes to the Lord. The first thing that should be, and, and if the Holy Spirit is really in them, they're going to have this interest in the Lord. And the first inclination should be, I need to know more about this Jesus. And I need to read the Bible, which is where we get our, our instruction. But that thing about walking with them, we're not supposed, from the very beginning, we're not supposed to live stranded. Even if you cannot, you can recommend to the church. If they know someone, recommend them to go to a church, to find a church. It doesn't have to be the church that you go to. Just If they say, well, can I go to your church? Of course, go to our church. But then again, that's the first thing you really have to do. There's many things involved here. You know, discipling, of course, is, is a key uh, Kobe has a point that when you work with them, just let them speak to you. Discipling doesn't mean you're going to give them the 16 steps on how to be, a dis, you know, on, on how this works. It is good for them to know about it, yes. You can just give them information, then you can talk about it in a way that they express themselves on how their lives really are, uh, and how is it that Christ can help them in that transformation. In the Bible, it says that Jesus is love. So I think the purest way to show someone Christ is to show someone love. And I'm, I know in my own life, I don't start off meeting someone and tell them that I'm a Christian. I think the purest way to show someone Christ is to show them love, to show them kindness, to show them grace. And then eventually, they'll ask you why. And that'll be your opportunity to share with them. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, Gene uh, instigated the love part, and you guys know some of you how I feel about the love part. <laughs> By the way, love, you can describe love as many ways as, as you like. I, I'm fine with it. I, I agree with you. Love is always a choice. Love is always a choice because we can choose not to love. And with love comes sacrifice. It's supposed to be sacrificial love. It's supposed to be unconditional love. Then if you go to 1 Corinthians, the, the, the love chapter, then you have the characteristics of love. And that's how you know that love is a choice. Love is sacrificial. Love is un, unconditional. But what she said about love, even when they come to the Lord, because I think the question was, when they come to the Lord, what, what do you do next? And very important is that you really are genuine enough to show them because you're going to be telling them how much Jesus loves you. How much he really cares about you. How about you? How about us? How much do we really care about loving others? Do we love him enough to help him through the journey? Do we, do we, do we love him enough? Are, are we the example? And she needs to get that on me. Are, are we the example? Or are you just going to say, okay, you are now uh, uh, born again and bye. I'll never see you again, which I see a lot of. Um, I would say teach them to study the scriptures for themselves. Um, one of the greatest obstacles for a new believer is to look at the Bible as this huge, overwhelming um, document. <laughs> and it is um, difficult to understand, but if you're taught um, to rely on the Holy Spirit and to study and to wait to hear from the Lord um, and to write down what he may be saying to you and to process it and kind of use that soap method, you know, um, then um, it That it was helped. jargon. Can you explain a little more? Soap <laughs> method? Yes. Scripture, observation, application, and then prayer. And then they can, um, when they're not with you um, and they're not, dependent on you, um, they're, they're really depending on the Holy Spirit to speak to them and to learn how to walk this life. So thanks for the thoughts shared. Um, if we go back to, so our mission statement is to help people find Christ, their place in the body, their mission to the world. I, mean, I, I think often we think, well, how, you know, I want to go and be a missionary to inner, inner Uzbekistan. Um, and that, there's people that are called to do that. And that's great, but not everybody is called to do that. But everybody is called to love, to choose, to care about, and to act for the good of those around them, and to, to transmit the love of God to those around them. And, you know, it's the, the ask that I'd have is for each of you to think about that as your personal mission as compared to that's something that we put on a website somewhere. It's good to have it on a website, but it's something that we need to individually embrace, that we corporately need to embrace. Um, and I guess let's encourage each other in that, uh, figuring out what that looks like and executing that.